Lord, we've come to the time in this service when we open the book of God, we examine its pages and the words on its pages. We know that holy men of God spake as they were moved upon by the Holy Ghost and wrote this book. We know that it is God-breathed. We know that it is eternal. We know that it's infallible. And we ask you, O Lord, that its message would become clear to our hearts and minds at this preaching event. We pray in the strong name of Jesus, whose I am and who I serve. Amen and amen. Well, we're in the book of Revelation, if you're following along with us, and we've talked about the church at uh, Smyrna, we've talked about Ephesus, we've talked about Pergamum, and last week Thyatira, that was the fourth one. I hope you remember all of those things, but they're all posted on the website if you want to go back and revisit some of that material. It's all posted there. Go into archives and go touch sermons, and you'll find every message that I've preached. So you you got no excuse if you don't know which church I'm preaching about. You'll, you'll get it right uh, there on the website. To the church at Sardis, there was a strong message that was given to the angel. All of us know that the angel of the church is the messenger of the church. And in this case, it was probably the pastor or a leading elder of this church. And Jesus met, sent this message to the angel of the church at the location in Sardis. Now, Sardis is about 35 miles southeast of Thyatira. And as I've told you in every message, they are delivered as if you were making a mail route and you were dropping off the first one at Ephesus, and the angel of the church would stay there. They would travel on then to Smyrna, and the angel of the church at Smyrna, the pastor, would stay there. Travel on to Pergamos, deliver the message to the angel. The angel would stay there with the church at Pergamos, and so with Thyatira. So what we have today happening is that we're down to three more pastors of churches and three letters that are left to be written to these angels or messengers of the church at uh, Sardis. Now, Sardis, as I said, is an ancient city. It's about oh, 750 or 800 years old at the time of this writing. It was the capital of the empire of Lyd the Lydians, and uh, it was a beautiful, beautiful metropolis. It was situated on a ridge of mountains, and it was situated on a piece of granite rock that rose 1,500 feet up from the valley floor. It was considered impregnable and it was considered to be safe from any harm or any invasion of foreign troops. So the people of the Lydian Empire were free to vandalize and plunder the different uh, kingdoms around them, most notably in Assyria. And uh, the king Cyrus was the one that was most often visited by these marauders. And they would come in and retreat to their mountain fortress and their rock of granite and nobody could get to them. But we find out in history about 500 years before Christ, there was a uh, marauding episode when they invaded uh, the Syrian empire and Cyrus uh, retreated and uh, gathered an army and chased after them, pursued them, and laid siege to the, to the city of Sardis. And Sardis felt so secure that nobody could get to them 
that they didn't put a watchman to watch or anything. They just felt like that wall is unscalable. We're safe. Nobody can get up that 1,500-foot wall. And they didn't post a sentry. They didn't put a lookout. They didn't even care. They went to bed and slept. The king was Croatius. And he just went on to bed and slept through the whole night, not knowing that there were some brave soldiers among the Syrians that climbed and scaled that unclimbable, unscalable granite rock and got up there and overthrew them and destroyed them. And uh, the city of Sardis then was laid siege and it was, made, it was a city that was going down by the time this little church came to be in existence. How did that church get in existence, Pastor? Well, in Ephesians chapter 19, verse 11, we find a verse of Scripture that finds Paul at Ephesus. He stayed three years at Ephesus. And while he was at Ephesus, the Bible said that the Word of God grew mightily and prevailed, that they sent missionaries out from Ephesus to all the continent of Asia and spread the gospel so much that these churches were organized, probably Sardis, was organized by the Apostle Paul or one of his cohorts. And in 549, the Sardinians, as they call them, the Sardians, they lost the battle with the Assyrians and were defeated. But it wasn't long before history repeated itself more than three and a half centuries later. And Antiochus the Great conquered Sardis by utilizing the service of the sure-footed mountain climbers. That happened in 195 B.C. So they didn't learn the lesson. It happened to them once before, and then 250 years later, they made the same mistake. If history teaches us anything, it teaches us don't keep making the same mistake. Don't keep doing the same things that got you defeated before. You know what? I think Christians kind of fall prey to that more than anybody. The Bible tells us we're not ignorant concerning Satan's devices. You know why? He's used them before. I mean, he's not dumb. He's found out something that will work, and he just keeps using it. And it's crazy, but we keep falling for the same old things, same old tricks, same old devices. He doesn't have to do much strategy. He doesn't have to think up something new. We keep falling for the same things. Churches keep doing the same things, committing basically what's called suicide, spiritual suicide. And, you know, one guy said, we've met the enemy and we've found out the enemy is us. Sometimes I think we are our own worst enemy. Somebody say amen. Sometimes I think we do things so stupidly and ignorantly that we cause our own demise. I really believe that. And we're going to find out about this, this church when we start reading this episode of, of Sardis. But Sardis was... A great city, it, it actually was known for jewelry. Boy, the ladies looked up. There was actually a mine that was close by, and you've heard me preach about the, the heavenly city that John saw coming down and that each floor is garnished with a different precious stone. The first one is jasper, and that's diamond. I heard Liz say, I'll be on the first floor, please. <laughs> Diamonds are a girl's best friend. Yeah, you know that one too. Well, wow, if, if each story, if each level 
of that city is a different stone. There was a, a, a jewel that's called chalcedony. And chalcedony is a beautiful blue. It's sky blue. And it's, it's got a beautiful color. Did you know that there was a mine in Sardis that they mined chalcedony? And they made jewelry that was famous and renowned throughout the whole empire. Not only that, in that mountain range where they were, it was, the landscape was speckled all over with gold mines. They actually mined gold. What a wonderful thought that, that we've got a, a city here in Asia and they're actually world renowned for making jewelry. Not just that, but anthracite. They, were, they had great, great uh, jewelry that was spread by their traders and their, and their marketers all over the port of call, all over the world. Gold mines. In fact, it was Sardis that, according to historians, that first had coinage of gold and silver. And you thought maybe the United States Mint probably did that. Well, I'm sorry, but they beat you by thousands of years the first coins that were ever coined from gold and silver were coined by the people of Sardis. So we've got a, a rich city. They're very wealthy. And there's a large population of Jewish believers. In fact, in the first century, it was recorded that in Sardis, there were thousands of Jewish believers there in Sardis. Not Christians, but they were Judaism. They were, they were wandering Jews, as they call them. And there were so many of them in Sardis that they had the largest, listen to this, the largest synagogue outside of, of Israel was in Sardis. The biggest population of believers in Judaism was right here in Sardis. Well, was so much going for it, but I don't let me stop right there because they also... They, they were very friendly toward the Caesars. In fact, they had a temple that was erected to Caesar because it was Caesar that came around and kicked Cyrus for defeating Sardis, and they owed a debt to Caesar, so they made a temple for him. So temper, uh, that temple was where you went to worship the emperor. There was also one there to Dionysius, and there was one temple there that was to Artemis to Artemis. There was paganism everywhere. And in that large city of thousands of Jewish believers, of multiple pagans and temples, here sits this little church. A little church. A little church that had big ideas. And you know what? They wanted to fit in so bad, and you might call them maybe today's church, that they wanted to be a part so badly that they lost something that was very precious to them. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God. The seven spirits of God. Where do you get those seven spirits of God, Pastor? Well, that has to do with the different ministries of the Holy Spirit. In Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 2, 11 and 2, it talks about how the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon the Lord Jesus. Isaiah is the Messianic a gospel, you might say, and it's also a prophecy. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Spirit of the Lord is one. Hold up one finger. 
Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom, two, spirit of understanding, three, spirit of counsel, four, spirit of strength, five, spirit of knowledge, six, and the fear of the Lord, seven. So Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 11 and two that when Jesus comes, that the seven spirits of God would rest upon him. Isn't that great? That the Lord Jesus is the author of this letter to the angel of the church which is at Sardis, and that is a letter from the Lord Jesus himself. Isn't that great? That he gives it not to the members, he gives it to the pastor. To the pastor. Now the pastor's got to go preach this. Poor pastor. Poor pastor. Poor pastor, number one, that he need, leads a church that the Lord Jesus has a something against and a complaint, a church that is uh, somewhat in trouble with the Lord, you might say. They've lost something that was very precious that they had in the beginning, but they've lost it. And now in their effort to be accepted in culture and to be socially accepted and, and to be accepted by all beliefs and everybody, let's just all have a spirit of ecumenism and let's just all come together. But they watered down their message and didn't mention sin. And they watered down their message to make God just uh, another somebody that they know. And as a result of it, the Lord had a complaint against them. He that had the seven spirits of the Lord. These seven spirits explains also that he has the seven stars in his hand. The seven stars is the pastors of the church. He's walking in the midst of the golden candlesticks, which represents light. Somebody say, praise the Lord. We are light. A candelabra of light. And a menorah has seven vials that extend up out of the orifice. And there are lights. And each church was considered to be a light. I consider harvest to be a light. I consider it to be a lot. You know what they, were, what they used for fuel? They used oil, olive oil to, fuel, to provide the fuel. What is oil a symbol of? The Holy Ghost. Boy, y'all are half dead. Holy Ghost. So the Holy Ghost is the energy source and the fuel that ignites the wick and projects the light. From the church. Boy, there's a sermon in that, but I hadn't got time to preach it right now. But just know that each of these seven churches was uh, sent to be a, a light. And the Lord says to them, three and one, I know your deeds. You mean God is watching? You mean God cares enough to watch? Does God care enough about what's going on in Anniston, Alabama? to keep up with what we're doing. I know your works. Ladies, ministries, president, I know your works. Praise team leader, I know your works. Pastoral care minister, I know your works. Sound audio, God said, I know your works. Children's ministry, I know your works. Youth ministry, I know your works. 
To every one of us in this house that does anything for God in his name, God says, I know your works. I know about what you're doing. I know what you're doing. You may not get a certificate. You may not get a trophy. You may not get your name called out. But God said, I know. I know. You may not be credited or lauded or heralded or a story written up about you, but God said, I know. I know. And I'll tell you what, he's the one you want to know. I said, he's the one that you want to know. Because if you're doing it for me to recognize you, you won't get much reward for that. If you're waiting on Brother Don to put you on Facebook as doing something great, though that might not happen either. But one thing is for certain. I can't do for you what God can do for you. Don cannot do for you what God can do for you. Don't worry if your name is not mentioned or you don't get a trophy or you don't get a certificate. There's one who knows. And there's coming a day when every deed will be disclosed. And you might be surprised when you get to heaven at who gets the crowns. Maybe some unsuspected one. Or it may be one that you thought would never get rewarded. But ever. In fact, the Bible said... If you were to go out to that water fountain and get a cup of water and walk up here and give it to me, God said that would not lose a reward. Something as insignificant as handing a cup of water to somebody, God said, I know about that. You mean he is that detailed and that specific about what we do? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. And the Bible said that nothing is hidden from him whose eyes are upon the earth. Nothing, everything lies naked before him with whom we have to do, the Bible says. So he who says, I know your works, I know everything that you're doing, and in, 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 this, in this letter, there is no Balaam, there is no Jezebel, there is no deep, deep pit of Satan, no uh, knowledgeable thing of Satan. There, there's none of that. There's none of that because those things aren't going on here. We don't have even God saying, I know that you hate the Nicolaitans. It's not in this one because the Nicolaitans were not a problem. Who are the Nicolaitans, Pastor? They're folks that think you can live like the devil and still have your robe ready to go. They're the ones that says you can participate in impurity and immoral uh, perversion and still just be a tongue talker right on. Just praise the Lord, dust them aisles and shout your way right through the gates. And God said, I hate the teaching of the Nicolaitans. I despise their teaching. And he said to one church, he said, I want to commend you because you won't tolerate the Nicolaitans. Amen. Now his problem last week, you know, with Thyatira was he, they tolerated Jezebel. But to this group, he doesn't have any Jezebel to fuss about. In fact, he doesn't have even the Roman Empire. They're not persecuting them. There is no persecution for this church. Nobody is raising a ruckus. They're not fighting with anybody. Nobody's trying to wipe them out like they are in Pergamos and like they are in Smyrna. Here they are just easing along. 
And God said, but I, I know your works. And I, I, I know how things are with you. I know the seven spirits. I know your deeds. And you have a name that you are alive. But, what was that sermon we preached about, buts? But, you have a name that you're alive, but you are dead. Now you're working hard, but you're dead as a doornail. He's not talking about activity because they were doing a lot of things. They were, they were preaching a social gospel, which is what we call easy church. In, in easy church, you never, never object to sin. In easy church, you always leave people laughing. P.T. Barnum, you know. Always leave them laughing. Sometimes God's word cuts deep. Sometimes God's word Brother Charles does the work of a surgeon. Sometimes God's word is painful for us to hear how we don't measure up to what God's word has to say to us. Sometimes God's word just kind of kicks all the skin off our shins. Sometimes God's word straightens us out. If you've never been straightened out by the word of God, brother, you might ought to check your card. Because the Bible said the Lord chastens people who love him and people he loves. In fact, the Bible said all of them that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. There are times when we go through areas where we need the admonishment of the scripture to speak to us. There are times when our steps are not his steps and we need to get back in step with him. There are times when, when we do and say things that misrepresent him entirely. And we need to correct those things and change those things so that we come into conformity with his will and his purpose. No, they didn't have any persecution. No, they didn't have anybody fighting them. No, they didn't have any kind of, any kind of persecution or hardship or privation. They were wealthy. The city was where they lived in a wealthy city. And they were wealthy and everything was going great. But God said, my problem with you is you're dead. Now, how can you be spiritually dead. How can you become dead? There's only one thing that can kill you. It's a little three-letter word. Starts with an S. Ends with an N. Anybody got it? About 40, 50 of us did. Let me put the other little letter in. I-S-I-N. Sin will kill you. Spiritually, Sin will disqualify you. Spiritually, sin will separate you. Spiritually, sin will cause you to lose the race. Spiritually, sin will cause you to become a loser, not a winner. And what happened in this church, this church had no pressure. No pressure whatsoever. Now, I'm wondering when when Jesus, the one who has the seven spirits of God, gives this letter to the pastor. And the pastor breaks it open and says, oh no, I've got to preach to a dead church Sunday and tell them God is not pleased with this. 
I'm in a world of trouble because they don't have anything troubling them and I'm about to become their trouble. Well, what in the world was going on there, Pastor? I believe that they shrunk back to a place of compromise with the society that they were in. I believe that they refused to take a stand and say that worshiping pagan gods is wrong. I believe they failed to take a stand and tell the worshipers at Dionysius that all of that is perversion and all that stuff is wrong. It's contrary to the will of God. You won't go to heaven doing things like that. I believe they shrunk back from being the light of truth. I believe they chose rather a little flicker somewhere in the dimness rather than to be a bright and shining light. And they held on to just enough truth to get by and call themselves a church. But they had no problem with anybody and never confronted sin. And on the other hand, they started dabbling in it themselves. You see, if you won't stand for something, you'll fall for everything. I'm going to say that again. If you won't stand for anything, you'll fall for everything. There will come a time when you'll just be like everybody else. You'll just blend in. And can I tell you in the modern church culture, there is this challenge, so let's just blend in. Let's not make so much distinction between Christians and the world. Let's not make so big of a ruckus about how that we have moral ethics and we have moral beliefs based upon the Judeo-Christian principles of God's Word. Let's not make that an issue. Come on, somebody. But this Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world passeth away with the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God abides forever and forever. You can never lose that delineation between us and the world. The Bible, Jesus said, they that are in the world love the things of the world. Jesus said, don't be surprised if the world hates you because of me. Jesus said, I am an offense. The world does not like me, Jesus said. They never have, they never will. Just remember, he said this, they hated me before they ever hated you. And you shouldn't take it personally, said. It's because I am in you. And you are in me. And that is an offense to the world. And you see, God is depending upon the church to be the bastion of righteousness. God is depending upon the church to hold up the standard and say killing babies is wrong. God wants you to hold up the standard and say that same-sex marriage is wrong. God wants you to hold up the standard and say, here's what the Bible says. Sin is sin, and what you're doing is sin, and, and you'll be lost. You'll go to hell if you do that. 
You need to turn and get saved and be converted and accept the Lord Jesus and go to heaven. And that distinction in our world right now is not clearly defined. Would it surprise you to know that 93% of the population of the United States of America believes in God? Are you kidding me? 93% of our population believes in a supreme being, believes in a God. About 10% of our population attends a church of any kind. In other words, we believe in something, but we're not willing to do anything about it. We believe in something, we'll say yes. America is a Christian nation. No, it's not. No, it's not. And those demographics are changing all the time. And the church, rather than standing out there on the front lines and saying there's only one way, and that's Jesus, instead of the church standing out there on the front lines, and making statements, there is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. But the name of Jesus, neither is there salvation in any other. And you see, if we give ground on those things, then it won't be long before you won't stand for anything. And then we might as well put daughters of the American Revolution out there on the front. Quit calling it a church. We're just a social club, like a fraternity or a sorority. We're just a group of friends that come together. If the church is not going to be the church and the church is not going to be God's representative, if the church is not going to allow the Holy Spirit to fuel us and energize us to stand up and be counted for God, I want to tell you, the blood has been shed for centuries and centuries of people that refused, refused, We owe it to those people to maintain integrity with God and integrity with His Word. We must not shrink back from that responsibility. The church at Sardis, in order, they participated in in public and societal things, you know, as if, well, it's okay, God won't mind. We've got to win them somehow or another. We have to become one of them. No, God doesn't want you to become one of them. You don't have to drink with them. You don't have to get in the wallow and wallow. You don't have to clothe yourself with the filthy rags of sin and degradation. You don't have to do that to win people to God. That's not the way. I'll tell you how people are one to God. Are you ready for it? 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. For if our gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them that they might be saved. How are they? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18, it hath pleased God that by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And to them that perish, the preaching of the cross is foolishness, but unto we which are saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. So what is foolishness to the world 
is the power of God to us. What is ridiculous and insidious to the world is the way of righteousness for us. Do you not see the distinction? Do you not see where the delineation is there? We are not of the world. No, God never intended. When we were saved, we, we were translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. We came out of the darkness into His marvelous light. And what communion hath the light with darkness? For us to go back and undo what the Holy Spirit did is a backsliding thing. For us to go back on our covenant with God and go back on our washing in the blood of Christ to go back and start doing those things all over again is to insult the blood of Jesus. God forbid that we would recount. And God forbid that we would back off of what we believe to be necessary in our relationship with God. To this angel, he said, you go and tell them I I have somewhat against them because they have once were alive and now they are dead. Dead. That church in Sardis has a big problem. A big, big problem. I, I would hate to have had the problem they've got. I would hate to pastor a church that God said is dead. First thing I would do is I would say, God, forgive me. Forgive me for not preaching strong enough and not being firm enough. And God, if you'll resurrect me and put that life in me, I'll try to resurrect it in them. I'll try to get them that used to be alive but now are dead. Come on, somebody. I'll do my best as the pastor of this church with this letter in my hand that Jesus has got the stars in his hand and I'm one of them. And he's saying to me, your church is dead. Well, i got to find the power source. And you know what? Down at Artemis Temple, they have a, a belief system down there in a resurrection. Yeah. At the temple of Artemis, people would travel for a long, believing that there was a priest in the temple at Artemis that could raise people and make them live again. And over down in another temple there to a pagan god, it was called the temple of healing. If you needed healing, you can go down to that pagan temple and get someone down there to hocus pocus minimum mocus so you, and you'll get you a healing. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me, and forget not all of his benefits. He heals all of our diseases and he forgives all and pardons all of our sins. Salvation is in our God. It is not in some pagan uh, worship system. Uh, Salvation, repentance, forgiveness of sin is through the name of Jesus. It's through the name of Jesus. And the, the devil would try his best to put some artificial temple up and say, you don't have to go over there and pray to the God of the Bible. We've got a God over here you can pray to, and he might could heal you too. That's humbug, that's hogwash, that's heresy, that's perversion. You need to run from that as fast as you can get away from it and say, God, 
be blessed that you are our healer. We don't have to go to some pagan being to find healing and to find resurrection. Jesus Christ said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live again. Jesus is the resurrection. Praise God. And you won't find it in some pagan temple somewhere. They thought they were active for the Lord, but they were not intimate with the Lord. They were doing things in His name while they were dead. You mean it's possible to, to function like a church? Act like a church? This Bible I preach out of says, There is a way that seemeth to be right. Is anybody hearing me preach this morning? There is a way that seemeth to be right. But the end thereof is destruction. Satan would like nothing better to concoct something that looks like it, acts like it, talks like it, behaves like it, but it's really dead. Because there's no intimacy there with the Lord Jesus. You remember Matthew when Jesus said at that day, Many shall come in my name. And they'll say, Did we not cast out devils? Have we not preached to the multitudes? Have we not gone witnessing in villages? Have we not uh, performed great things, miracles? Uh, have we not done these great things? And Jesus will say, Depart from me. You found out how to function without having the experience. You found out to do in the flesh what you ought to be doing in the spirit. Is anybody hearing this preacher today? You found out how to act like it, but you never had the relationship. Why did, why did Jesus say to him, depart from me. I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. There was never any time when I put the life-giving breath in you. There was never a time when our relationship was intimate. There was never a time when you became alive to God and dead to sin. And God says to this church, my problem is that you are, are dead. You see, in 1 Corinthians 13 and 13, it talks about the uselessness of works without love. He said, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I am become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy, and I know all mysteries, and I have all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as I can remove mountains, but I don't have intimacy with God, I am nothing. And if I give all of my goods, all my possession, my house, my cars, my business, to feed the poor, and I deliver my body to be burned at the stake, but I don't have this loving relationship with God. It profits me nothing. You mean, Pastor, you can go through the motions? Yeah. Yeah, it's called having a form of godliness, but denying the power. And churches are at the forks of the road today. Amen. And God is asking, which is it going to be? Are you going to have a form 
or are you going to have the real, genuine experience? And you've got to make up your mind which one you want. Oh, the form of godliness looks pretty, it sings pretty, it sounds pretty, it's soft on sin. You don't leave there feeling condemned or anything like that. No conviction. Always, always happy, happy, happy. And you can choose that form if that's what you want. And it's going wholesale today. Wholesale. But to have the power, to have the intimacy with Christ, to have the relationship with God, it comes at a price. I said it comes at a price. And the reason we have forms is because we're not willing to pay the price. The price of revival is a high price. You can't be ordinary and mundane and status quo unless you're willing to pay the price. You can't be ordinary. You can't be run of the mill and have intimacy with Christ. It costs you something. Unless you're willing to pray, unless you're willing to seek God, unless you're willing to read His Word, unless you're willing to fast, unless you're willing to do those things that gain relationship with Christ, then you've got a form. And you have, well, a pastor said it not long ago. He said, Brother Jerry, I've decided something. I said, what's that? He said, people have all of God that they want. Are you kidding me? Well, how else could it be? If we wanted more of God, it's not because we're ignorant and don't know how. If we wanted God, He said, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it. If we wanted more of God, He said, seek me and you'll find me. If we wanted more of God, hear ye, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. If we wanted more of God, it's available. I said it's available to us. Revival is available to harvest today. Revival is available for this preacher. Revival is available to you and your family. Restoration is available, but it doesn't come without a price. Hmm. Pastor, I just wish you had to said that. Matthew 7, Jesus said that 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 time will come when people will expect their works and their deeds to carry them through. This church had no persecution. And what did he say to them? What was the first thing he said? What, how do I get back to life, Brother Jerry? Been kind of kind of sleeping on the job myself. How do I get back to where I need to be with God? First thing, ready for this? Number one, stick up one finger. First thing, wake up. Jerry, I sure am enjoying my snooze time. <laughs> to wake up means that we come to ourselves to be watchful, to be awake, and to prevent yourself from falling asleep. That phrase that would have been very poignant to that church at Sardis because they knew their city's history. Because before, they knew we lost it because we slept. And we didn't learn the lesson, and 250 years later, we lost it again because we slept again. 
No wonder the Bible says, Arise and shine. All of you that are asleep, arise and shine. For thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is arisen upon thee. Wake up. America needs a wake-up call this morning. America needs a wake-up call. Wake up. First thing I have to do is search my heart to see if I'm awake. Are my works and my deeds done for the glory of the Lord? Are they done so I can get some credit for it? Who's going to get the credit for what I do for the Lord? If it's all about me, then I can just snooze right on. But if it's for the Lord's glory and the Lord's honor and the Lord's praise, then that Lord help me stay awake. Lord, help me arise and, and shine. Help me stay awake. And then he said, and strengthen those things that remain. Are you seeing that? Soon as you wake up, start strengthening. Well, how do I, I strengthen? Get on, the, get on the treadmill and start walking. Get on God's treadmill. And start seeking Him. Start reading His Word. Exercise yourself under righteousness, the Bible says. Exercise, exercise, exercise. How do you think you're going to be alive and not dead if you don't move? And the more you move, the more strength you'll get. Spiritually, you get strength from moving. Spiritually moving. Activate those arms. Activate that heart. Activate that mouth to speak the word of God. Activate that mind to think and meditate on the things of God. Exercise your feet to walk in his ordered steps. Exercise everything about you to do and please the will of God. Boy, that's good. That's good stuff. Somebody come play for me so I'll quit. Strengthen what you've got. They'd lost so much. But he said, strengthen what remains. And then he said, they're about to die too, which are about to die. You mean I've got just a little bit left of fruit on my vine and it's shriveling up as we speak? You've got a little bit, he said, and they're about to die. You know, Colossians 3 and 17 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him through the Father. James 1.25, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer of God's word, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in everything he does. Strengthen what you got that remains. Fortify what you've got left. Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stimulate, encourage one another to love and to good deeds. Verse 3, he said, Remember therefore what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If therefore you will not wake up, if you will not wake up, some people are hard to wake up. Some folks are easy to wake up. Other folks are hard to wake up. One night I had a when I was a youth director, I had 400 and something campers, kids, and some of them had brought some cherry bombs with them to camp. 
and we had a counselor that was in a room of boys, and I heard something one night. I was walking around doing my midnight ride, and I heard something go, boom! I said, oh, Lord, what in the world was that? That was a gunshot. Lord, I went running up on that hill fast as I could go, certain to find a tragedy. And I got in there, and those boys had shot a cherry bomb off under the bed of their counselor. And that's not the most astonishing thing. The most astonishing thing is it didn't wake him up. Gotta be kidding me. A cherry bomb and that won't wake you up? Well, sometimes I've preached some cherry bomb messages and I saw some folks yawning. If there, if you, if therefore you will not wake up, I think the church is getting a wake-up call. I believe in these last days, I believe the church, he said, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I'm coming. The worst thing I could imagine for this church is the Lord would come back and they weren't looking for him. The worst thing I could imagine is suddenly the Lord descends from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the trump sounds and dead people are getting up all over the world and we're asleep. Slept through the whole thing. Oh God, don't let us become so sleepy-headed spiritually that we would miss the rapture of the church. There used to be a little 98-year-old woman that sat on the second seat from the front. Her name was Mama Wooten. And every time she'd testify, she'd say, Brother Irwin, if we miss that rapture, we're ruined. Now, I don't know what theologically ruined means. I think she intended to say, you don't want to miss the rapture. And listen to what he says. You have a few people, number four. They wasn't all asleep. There are a few people in Sardis who have not sold their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. Hallelujah. Haven't sold my garment. What garment are you talking about, Pastor? The one they sung about. You didn't get it? Are you washed in the blood in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb. Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Whoa! You mean I got a garment when I got saved? I'll tell you what Jesus did. When you got saved, He washed that old filthy garment you had on. It was stained with sin. It was filthy with corruption. It was, it was terrible looking, ragged. Why, Jesus said a child of mine can't walk around in a motley looking thing like that. Praise God, he took the blood of Jesus and he washed. He washed us. Glory to God. Get your shouting shoes on. Here it is. 1 Corinthians 6 and 11. 
He talks about how people were fornicators and are adulterers. And listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 6 and 11. And such were some of you. And such were some of you. But, but ye are washed. But ye are sanctified. But ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Yes, sir, I used to be filthy, but praise God, I got washed. Revelation 7 and 13, And one of the elders answered, saying to me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest And he said to me, these are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Praise God, if you've got on the garment of praise, it's been washed by the blood of Calvary's cross. If you've got a praise and a blessing in your heart today, it's because Jesus washed you white as snow. Though your iniquities be as crimson, they shall be white like wool. There's a fountain open in the house of David for all manner of sin and uncleanliness. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. They shall walk with me in white. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name out of the book of life. And I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Oh, he stood up for me one day. That's why I stand up for him now. Because there's coming another day. I said there's coming another day. I said there's coming another day when I'm going to need him before the Father and before all the angels of heaven to say, yes, he's one of mine. I I died for him, shed my blood, and he bowed his knee, and he called upon my name, and he asked forgiveness for his sin, and I touched him and regenerated him. I washed his garment in my blood. I wrote his name in that book up there, Father. See if you can find Rankin Jerome Irwin written in that book. Oh, I see it here. Yeah, you got it there, Lord. He's here, and he got here because of me. Glory to God. I will not erase his name. No matter what the devil does to me, he said, I won't erase his name. If he'll keep walking, if he'll not deny my name, if he won't go back and saw those garments that I washed, if he won't go back into open sin, if he'll stay clean, if he'll come to me for cleansing, then I'll keep on cleansing him and I won't erase his name. I won't erase his name. I won't erase his name. I won't erase her name. I I won't erase his name. We used to sing when I was a kid, I know, I know, my name is there. I know, I know, my name is written there. Is your name there this morning? Is your name written in that book? I said, is your name written in that book? Buddy, if I didn't know my name was there, you'd have a job this morning. 
praying for me because I wouldn't leave here until I knew that I knew that I knew that my name was in that book. Amen. Stand with me all over this house. Well, I preached about a church this morning that I don't want to be. I don't want to be a Sardis, Don. I wouldn't mind being a Smyrna church. I wouldn't mind being an Ephesus church. But I sure don't want to be a Sardis church. You know what was wrong with that Sardis church? They had a name. Everybody else thought they had a, had a great reputation. Said they had a name. But God said, yes, but you're dead. You see, it's possible for you to have a name, but then not be what God wants you to be. Harvest has a great reputation. We give food to the hungry on the third Saturday. 350 to 400 families we feed every third Saturday. We do toys for tots. We give Thanksgiving turkeys. We do all kinds of benevolent things and we, we help everybody. And everybody calls and says, boy, I sure do appreciate y'all doing that drive through prayer out there. Pastor said, that just blesses my heart. But I want to tell you, it would be sad that if Aniston thought we were alive, but God looked at us and said, you're not alive. You're doing good things. Everybody else, you got a great reputation. Everybody else thinks well of you. But he said, but I don't have that intimacy with you. Don't have that relationship with you. Is there anybody here today that would say, I want to have that relationship with my God. I want to have that relationship with my God. I want to know Him. I want Him to know me. I want to have a relationship with Him. You know, that's more important than anything else in this world. It doesn't matter what the Aniston Star thinks about harvest. What really matters is that God says you're alive. It doesn't really matter what the World Council of Churches thinks about harvest. What really matters is that God says you're alive and I know you. And I know you. You're alive and I know you. Hallelujah. I feel like praying this morning, don't you? I know we got a wedding to do, but I feel like praying. I feel like praying because I don't want anybody to leave here today that that rapture would be a surprise to. I want you to be ready for it. Amen. Would you come forward this morning and pray with me just before we do something else? Come on. Come quickly. Come quickly. Come quickly. Come quickly. Come quickly. Come quickly. I want to be ready to meet him in the sky. I want to be ready to meet him by and by. I want to be more like him and do his best command. Lord, I want to be ready to meet him in glory land. What a prayer. If that's your prayer, I want you this morning just to bow your head and I want you to just say, say those things to God. I want to be ready, Lord. I want to be ready, Lord. I don't want to sleep through it. I don't want to miss it. And I realize this morning how important it is for me to be ready and to be alert and to be watching. Thank you for this message. Thank you for this revelation. I accept it in Jesus' name as God's Word. And I will adjust the things that need to be adjusted 
in my life and my walk with God because I want to be ready in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Why don't you just lift those hands right up to Him right now. Just look right straight up into God's heaven, right up into God's face. And say to Him, God, I love you this morning. I want to serve you this morning, Lord. I want to be the very best that I can be for you. I want you to be accepted with the things that I do, words I speak, places I go, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now let's pray a verse. You want to pray a verse? I love to pray verses. Do you pray verses? Last verse of the 19th Psalm. You know what it says? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Woo. Lord. I felt that. Do you feel that? The words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. That's my prayer to God. Is that your prayer to God this morning? It's my prayer to God. The words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart acceptable unto God. Acceptable unto God. I want you to join hands with that person beside you. I want us to pray as a church. Don, come here. I want you to pray as a church. I want to pray for our church. I said, I want to pray for our church. I pray for other churches, but this morning I want to pray for our church. Our church. I'm not going to have to stand before the Lord, Karen, and give an account for other churches. I'm not going to have to stand before Him and give an account for what others preach or others do. But I am going to have to give an account for what I preach and how I do. And I don't want any blood to drip from my hands. Rodney, I don't want that to happen. I want to serve Him in a way that He'll be pleased with. Harry, I want to preach like He wants me to preach and be what He wants me to be. And I want you to be a member like God wants you to be a member. Not like Brother Jerry, but what God wants. What God wants. I want you to lift those hands up. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you, not of myself, but in the name of Jesus. You invited me in your word to come boldly to the throne of grace. And right now, I bow myself in your presence. You know my works. You know my heart. You know my life. And in Jesus' name, right now, in this church, I commit myself and I submit myself to the Spirit of the living God. Let your word become a lamp to my feet. And may I walk in the light of that lamp. May my attitude 
and my heart be acceptable in this church for what you want me to be. And in Jesus' name, I commit myself right now to all that you want and all that you desire in me. In Jesus' name, praise God. Hallelujah. Why don't you give God some praise? About 30 seconds of the best you got. Best you got. Come on, best you got. Praise the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Bless the Lord, oh my soul.